Man, we are in our second week of Vintage Faith, where we're looking at things that God has said all throughout the Bible, uh, themes that are, are throughout the Bible that maybe um, culture will say, ah, uh, you know, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, uh, the Bible is culturally outdated, you know, because we are equating culture and what everybody else says and saying that God's word is old and antiquated. And last week I said that, that the thing I love about vintage is vintage is something that's old, but, well, but everybody wants, everybody likes. It's, it's something that, that, that has aged well. Um, and, and, you know, how many, how many of you go to antique uh, places and you, and you like to shop for all the old stuff? Maybe, you know, maybe you're like, no, that's not me. I'm more modern than cool. But me and Stephanie, we love going to like vintagey, antique Like I love if, you, if, you know, I'm, I'm all about American pickers. Like let me into something that hasn't seen the day, daylight in a long time and let me pick through it. Uh, when we first moved here. So uh, we live right behind one of Bill Bacon's homes. If you know who Bill Bacon is in Camden, he is a collector of stuff. The, <laughs> the man has stuff and stuff on top of stuff and, and stuff's got his stuff, okay? And so we went to, uh, you know, we literally live right behind. So we would walk through our backyard into his backyard and go shopping uh, when he would have all of his stuff out there. And where, he, where that house is, he's got a full, like, other house behind that house that used to be like a preschool or a school that his wife used to teach in, and it's full of stuff. And one day we were talking to him, and uh, we said, you know, what's in there? And he goes, more stuff. He goes, I haven't even gotten to it. And I was like, me and Stephanie were like, what do you think about us getting to it? He goes, it's, it's pretty bad in there. You enter at your own risk. And I'm like, Done. Handshake. Let's go. That just means that there's probably stuff that good treasures in there. And we went in and we were, I mean, I mean, seriously, it was American pickers. We're climbing over stuff. We've got flashlights out and we probably pulled three, four, five, six different items out of there that we bought. But it's, it's what people think is old and no good. What culture would say, just throw away. Vintage says, nah, there's a use for it. It's still got, it's still got life to it. And that's God's word. When we think about vintage faith, I'm not trying to add to what God has already spoken, okay? If you ever want to know, like I'm not, you know, I think there's, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ability to be able to make the word of God relevant. And relevancy isn't the same thing as trying to change it. We can, we can bring a modern spin to it and, and, and make it uh, not fit. Now, here's the difference. It's not fitting what we wanted to say. It's the truth of God having cultural relevance to how we see the world around us. Jesus did this all the time when he would tell stories. When he would tell parables, he would start to tell a story that everybody knew. And he'd go, have you heard the one about the farmer? And they're like, oh, I know where he's going with this. He took a story that people knew and he gave it a spiritual meaning. And so when, we, when I think of this series that I'm walking through, I want you to see what God has to say and what he's saying from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible and how it correlates. You know, uh, I was, I've got a buddy on Facebook that can be a little combative with faith. Um, and, and so he'll make these comments and throw out Old Testament scriptures and say, and his big thing is like the law is the law is the law. And Jesus, you know, can't come and change the law. And he's, and he's combative towards 
Christianity in the sense of uh, he thinks Christianity is New Testament only. And when you look at the Bible, you look at how God correlated from Genesis to Revelation, the, the same message is there. Now, there are differences because they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the sacrificial lamb that died for them. And so there were certain things that they had to do that, thank God, we no longer are bound by. Amen? And so, so I want to kind of help you understand. When we talk about this, the reason why vintage faith is so important, it's not that we throw out the Old Testament. It's that we see the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. That I'm no longer having to be bound by the legalism of the law but the law is now written on my heart to live out. And so I want to talk about a, a theme this morning that I think sometimes gets a bad rap in the church because it sounds so old school, and that's repentance. It's, 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 it's this idea, and, and I've talked about it before. You know, a lot of times when you ask people what repentance is, they'll say, oh, it's, it's asking for forgiveness. And let me tell you something. That's partially true. Um, I'll tell you this. The one thing I love, um, how many sports people, I'm a sports person. I love sports from, you know, baseball and football. I even coached soccer last year, which I know nothing about. Um, I just like sports, okay? And, um, and, and the thing I love about sports and growing up playing it and then becoming a coach, and I play, I've coached baseball, I've coached football, I've coached soccer. Um, I have played basketball. I haven't coached basketball yet, and I don't think I ever will. It's not mo one of my sports that I can really teach. But the thing I love about that is the learning process. If you're a parent of a kid who has played sports, you love when, the, when things start to click, when they start to get it. When, when it goes from, um, you know, the five-year-olds on the soccer field, like, kicking each other to uh, them actually learning how to pass the ball. Or in football, when it goes from that mass huddle of, you know, it, it looks, anybody ever remember those little shaky ones where you put all the magnets and the little football guys are like... Like, that's what peewee football looks like. Um, it's just a mass conglomerate of little humans running around not knowing really what they do. It's like, you know, it's just tackle the guy with the ball. And, and, and then they start to progress, and it's, oh, look, there's plays. Oh, look, they've learned how to throw and catch. Oh, look, they've learned how to read the defense and to read the offense. I love the learning process when an athlete realizes where they have, uh, where they have been not doing good or failing and put in the work to do better. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the things that we lack in, uh, in, in raising up the next generation and the next generation is, oh, don't go too hard on them, coach. I'm not that parent. You can ask my kids and you can ask my wife. I'm sometimes the opposite. I'm like, listen, if they don't get it, they'll never learn. If, I, if, if somebody doesn't push them, if somebody doesn't challenge them, then, then how will they ever? It's okay to say that, that didn't go well. You didn't do your job. And because you didn't do your job, your team hurt because of it. It's not, listen, can we understand the difference between you didn't do something right and you're a failure? And the problem is, is that so many times when we hear you didn't do this right is we've been conditioned to hear you're a failure. You suck. Instead of, hey, that wasn't what you were supposed to do. That wasn't the play. That wasn't your position. Why are you trying to do this? This is outside of the, uh, the spectrum of what you were designed for on this moment. 
And in, in sports, that's why I love coaches, because that's coach's job to say, that wasn't right. Run it again. When you go home, practice this. Go home and do these things to, to make yourself better. In the day of uh, technology, I would send Facebook links to Reels to parents to say, hey, get your kids to try this at home. Why? Because I want you to put in the work, not because you suck, but because you didn't get it right, and I want you to get it right. And I want you to practice, and I want you to, to be the best you can. And practice is a part of that, but the other part is going to a coach and saying, Teach me. Show me how to be better. I know I'm not where I want to be. So, and I don't know how to get there. So I need somebody to come alongside of me and to teach me and to disciple me and to walk me through life so that I can get to the next step in the next place. And this is the picture that I have when I think of repentance. Is this, this coach, this athlete idea that, that repentance is, is I realize I didn't do well here. I realize that I made a mistake here. And I don't want to keep redoing the same thing over and over again. And, and, and yet, I, maybe I don't know how to get from that next step to this step. And so I need somebody to come alongside of me. And I need, I need to follow somebody Repentance is not a shaming God chastising you for your failures, but a loving God guiding and challenging you in his will, his character, and his purpose. I want you to get this picture. Repentance is not a God up there going, you are a failure. So many times, that's how we see God when we make mistakes. Because what did Adam and Eve do, right? Adam and Eve hid. When they sinned, and they heard God's voice hid because of shame. Because the enemy had lied to them and said, now you are a failure, not, hey, you've made a mistake and this loving God wants to correct it, wants to guide you in it. But there's some steps in this repentance process that we have to, to know. And, and if we don't know, how do we do it? I want to read Psalms 51.17. says this. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. It's not a prideful spirit. I got this, God. I can do it. It's not a, well, I'll ask you for help when I feel like I've, I've done, exhausted everything else. A repentive spirit, a, a, a contrite heart uh, is another way that the Bible talks about it. A broken spirit says, I know that I don't have all the answers, but I know one who does. I know where to go to get the answers. I know where to go to, to, to sit at the feet of a God who loves me and wants to challenge me to be the best I can be in him. Everything worth anything requires sacrifice, right? I mean, that's how I've always kind of looked at it. If you want to be good at anything, if you want to, to succeed in anything, there's probably going to be some sacrifice to it. Whether it's a job or a hobby, being a parent or a good spouse, there's going to, there's going to come a time where you have to sacrifice. The question becomes, are you going to sacrifice on the front end or after you've made all the mistakes? 
Are you going to have to backtrack and work through the sacrifice to, to get back at the foundation? Or are you going to realize, hey, I, you know what? I'm going to fall in line with the one who has designed me a certain way and called me to be a certain person. And I'm at the front end. I'm going to do all that I can to sacrifice for the things that were, are worth it to me. Went back to the sports process, I think of, you know, nowadays, these, these kids are, are they're starting so young with not just coaches. Like, it's coaches are like, that's just like a given. But, you know, these kids are going to baseball camps and professional coaches. And I'm like, God, I, don't have, I didn't have any of that. Like, I had to throw the tennis ball against the house. Okay? That was my coach. Oh, if the tennis ball went that way, I go that way. Right? Probably annoyed my parents with the, the ball hitting the, the side of the house. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. But that was my coach. If my, you know, I'd go to practice two or three times a week or whatever, but, but if I wanted to get better, I had to find ways to, to do it myself. And, and now there's like a thousand different ways to, to do it. And, and at the front end, parents are paying, they're sacrificing so that their kids can get ahead. Okay. And, and, and that's the idea. It's I'm not going to wait till it's too late. I'm not going to wait till everybody's already been ahead of it or, or, or you know, all the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice on the, if I want to be a great spouse, then maybe I ask the questions beforehand, how do I become that? My, my youth pastor, our youth pastor, mine and Stephanie's youth pastor, um, one of the things that he taught in dating that I believe was really, really, really great was uh, before you ever start dating, start praying. And not pray for, like, don't, God, I want tall, dark, and handsome. Like, God, <laughs> like, that. listen, okay, whatever. Um, but God, your word says this is what the quality of a spouse looks like. So God, help me be the person that will be attracted to that person. See, it's not necessarily just praying for that person, but God, help me align to be the person that that person will be attracted to. I tell people all the time, they're like, man, I just, I just want to find a good person. I'm like, well, you're not going to find them where you're looking. You know, if you're looking in bars, if you're, you know, and it's like, you know, where do you go to find people? I don't know. I found mine at 19, 14, if you really want to be honest. Um, but, you know, we didn't start dating until we were 18, 19 years old. I found mine in church. So when I say the best place to find them is in God's house, it's because I truly believe that. But, but it's, it's that balance of are you, first of all, are you ready? And secondly, are you, the, are you praying to be the person that God has designed that person for? And are you praying for that person? Everything worth anything requires sacrifice. And here's the thing. We want to recognize our sin and our faults without repentance. What do I mean by that? I mean, like, we want to say, yeah, I'm going to screw up sometimes, but we don't want to take ownership of our mistakes, and we don't want to change it. See, that's the thing about repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry, it's, here's my change. It's not just, man, I messed up here. It's, I messed up here, and now I'm going to turn back to the one who has my best interest at heart, has my best uh, purpose in, in his hands, and I'm going to turn back to him, and I'm going to allow him to define what my life should look like. It's kind of like a three-step process. Repent, turn, follow. I've made my mistake, and now I'm going to say, God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn back to him, and then I'm going to go back to him and say, okay, now show me how it should be. Let's run it back one more time, and let's, and let's replay this so that I can be the best version of myself that I possibly can, and this happens all throughout the Bible. 
So here's what the, the dictionary says about repentance. It says sincere regret or remorse. Doesn't that feel incomplete? Doesn't that feel like, like okay, so now what, what, what they're saying is, is repentance is just sit in your sorrow. Don't do anything with it. Just sit in your sadness. I'm sorry, period. But what do we do with that? And that's why the Bible, when, when, when we look at the Bible, the repentance takes that a step further. And the Bible sees it as sincere regret or remorse plus a turning from sin and towards the heart and will of God. It cannot merely be emotional for emotions come and go, but they don't always lead to change. Our emotions can get us so out of whack and lead us down such bad bunny trails. But it's how I was feeling. And emotions are a good thing. I'm not saying we're robots. We all act the same, cookie cutter. No. I'm saying that we don't allow our emotions to run us. We have to become masters of our emotions. Way easier said than done, amen? Okay, because it's, it's easy to say that when we're not in an emotional height, when we're not angry at somebody, when we're not upset, when we're not sad, when we're not whatever, like fill in the blank of whatever emotion you want. <laughs> when, we, when we're not at that height, it's easy to say, oh yeah, no, I control my emotions. And then you've got like your spouse or your family member going back, okay, <laughs> Where was that when? But it's that idea that repentance can't just be I'm going to sit in my sorrow and my sadness because that's just depression. I'm a failure. I wish I would never be here. I wish I wouldn't have gotten to this point. I wish I wouldn't have made this choice and that choice and that choice. And if all there is is a period to that, I have sincere regret or remorse. What do we do with that? How are we ever supposed to produce godly lives if, if repentance is simply just, I suck, but not, I made a mistake, and now I'm turning to God for the answer? The biblical model of vintage faith has always been repent, turn, and follow. From the beginning to the end uh, of the Bible, Israel constantly, listen, how many have read enough of the Old Testament? Okay, you've read stories over and over again about, about Israel that we know this, right? So if you haven't, I encourage you, go, go look at how bad Israel made mistakes. Like for as much as the Jewish people are the chosen ones, <laughs> they were mess ups over and over and over again. Like when we humanize God's relationship with, with man in the Old Testament, we realize how bad they screwed up and God gave them chance. At, like when people say, well, there's no grace in the Old Testament. Are you kidding me? Jesus had conversations with, okay, so well, first of all, let's, let's you know, roll it back. So when Noah, right, when we read about Noah, it says that, that, that humanity was so bad that God had no choice. He wanted to wipe it all clean and start a clean slate. But, he, but Noah was faithful. And so he took Noah and Noah's family, and they put them on a big boat with a bunch of animals. We know the story because of felt board, right? And all oh, the two by two, and they, da, 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 right? Okay, so, so we get Noah. And then after that comes Moses. And I love Moses and God's relationship because it was like as real as real could get. And there would be times where God would go to Moses and be like, your people are idiots, and I want to kill them. Read your Bible. Like, listen, read Genesis. You'll, you'll, you'll see these conversations where God says, let's, Moses, let's just start over. And Moses goes, God, let's not. No, it's okay. Uh, listen, 
patience, right? It's one of your virtues. Like Moses had real conversations with God. And then there were times where Moses came to God and was like, kill them all, God, I don't care. Me and my family, we'll take Aaron, we'll take a handful of people, just kill them all, let's go. I'll start fresh. And God would be like, no, pump the brakes, you're just emotional. Why? Because over and over again, we see Israel do this process. God saves them. They're all in awe of God. They worship God for, for a season and, and through a generation. And then that generation sits in good seasons and they get comfortable. And so then they start to worship other things like money and comfort and other gods and other idols and, and other humans. And so they fall away from God and they go do their own thing. And then they in, in, enters all sorts of sin. And then a prophet has to arise and say, morons, here we are again. This isn't how we're supposed to live. And God's going to ruin us if we don't get it right. Over and over again. Like literally, if you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, this is the cycle that, that happens. They make mistakes. They sin. God gives them a way out or proclaims their calamity. Something either good or bad happens, which leads to them repenting and asking for God to be the God of, of, of their people again. And God, we're going to follow you. And then they follow him for a season. And then the cycle starts all over again doesn't sound like us at all. Think about your own life. Think about your own faith walk. I know in my own faith walk, there have been seasons that have been so good with God, and I, I just feel like I'm Moses on the mountaintop in the middle of his glory. Oh, I mean, I could just, I can still close my eyes and take, take myself back to uh, camps and, and, and seasons in my life where I was so powerfully in love with God and his, and his presence. And I'd get comfortable. And then I would stop reading his word a little bit because oh, I know God's word. I know he's with me. I wouldn't pray as purposely or passionately. I wouldn't seek him. I would seek his hand. I would seek comfortability. And then what happens? Sin enters life and you start to make choices. And, and sin is typically never, I won't, say, I won't say never, but typically never, a gotcha it's not like, a, ha ha, got you, now you're drunk. Like, no, like, I'm not going to get drunk because I don't, that's not me. I'm not going to go out and cheat on my wife because that's like, like I, listen, I've been married to her for 20 years. I don't think that there's a better looking woman on this earth as I should think that, okay? And if you're married, you should think that your spouse is the best looking and best person for you. So there, there's nothing that the world can entice me with to make me want to leave 20 years of amazingness. Doesn't mean that it was perfect, that there was a lot of ups and downs, and there was a lot of times where we probably wanted to kill each other. And there's probably times like that still to come. No amens from the back. But every time I recognize where I'm making mistakes and I'm falling, I go to God and I say, God, forgive me and help me be better. I turn and I follow you. So it can't just be emotional where we say, God, this sucks, I suck. No, it's, it's got to be, I, I made a mistake. Your word shows me how to fix this. Your will shows me, your purpose, your presence shows me. And if I stick close to you, you're going you're gonna to walk me through this and I'm going to become better and closer to you in the end. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this. We, you may not see the word repent or repentance in the Old Testament. You'll see this word a lot though, return. That's repentance. Return to your God. 
Return to the one that, that has called you. Return to, return to, oh God of, oh, oh God of, uh, or, or Israel, will you return to the God of? And then Jesus enters the scene and we see John the Baptist calling people to repentance. We see the foundational message of Jesus being repentance. We see the disciples teaching repentance. And today it's no different. Despite what our culture may tell you, you cannot live good enough. You cannot act good enough. You cannot do anything good enough without the very will and heart of God in your life. And repentance is not a bad thing. It is a beautiful thing when we use it and know it appropriately. So, what does it look like? I promise you, it sounds like that was just the intro, and it may have been, but it was most of my message. So don't freak out. Lunch is coming. And football, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so what about repent, turn, follow? So I want to give you these three thoughts and a couple of scriptures, and it's this. Repentance has always been the plan. Like, when Adam and Eve sinned, God wasn't up there going, oh, God, what do we do now? <laughs> oh, my plan was that humans would be perfect. Oh, Jesus, do you mind being a sacrifice? God knew humanity. He knew by giving us free will that we were going to make mistakes. Jesus wasn't plan B. He was always plan A. And so he knew that the world would need a savior to tie him back to relationship. What we talked about last week. That he always, that God's heart is for us. And so repentance has been throughout the, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, from the beginning to the end, it has always been the heart to draw you. Um, if you look at Joel 2.13, some of you probably don't even realize there's a book called Joel in there. Um, but it's a, it's a good book. And it says this. I love this. This is New Testament preaching in the Old Testament. Okay? Don't tear your clothing in your grief. That may sound really weird to us in our culture. Have any of you ever ripped your clothes off when you're crying? Probably not. You haven't sat there and gone, oh, God. That's what they would do. They would rend their clothes and pour ashes on their head as a sign of mourning. Okay? Um, now, they wouldn't get naked. You're like thinking, God, what, would, what was God thinking? But the outer, remember, they had multiple layers. So they would rend the outer garment, and they would pour ashes over their head as a sign of mourning or a sign of uh, grief culturally. So this is Joel speaking to the Israel people saying, listen, don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Ah, here's that word. Return to the Lord your God. He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Anybody that looks at the Old Testament and thinks that God is just this lightning bolt throwing angry person hasn't read the whole entirety text of the, of the, uh, of the Bible. Here's Joel saying, listen, don't just go through the motions of church. Rend your hearts, tear your hearts before God and realize that God is compassionate and caring and loving and wants to see you be the best version of you in him, not just you. You can't, you can't Oprah yourself. You can't Joel Osteen yourself. Uh, you, can't, you can't five better books to a better life you without Jesus. You can't. You could become a good person. Anybody can. You're good enough will never be good enough. You're good enough will always, the Bible says that our, our, our good enough, our, our best is like filthy rags in the sight of who he is. So I think about me on my good days. 
And I think, oh my goodness, if God is that good, that doesn't even come close to it. And I don't even have to try to fake it. I just need to sit in his presence. I need to tear my heart before him and ask for his compassion and his love and his mercy to overwhelm me. I need to wake up every day and, and realize, like his word says, his mercies are new every day. So if you made a mistake, listen, if you go home and you make a mistake, and you get in a fight with your spouse, or you pick a fight with your kids, or your kids decide to jump off the deep end and become little demons, listen, guess what? Tomorrow is a new day. Amen? You go to work tomorrow, and, you're, and your boss just dives off the deep end and, and, and calls you all sorts of things, or let's just, maybe you make a really big mistake. How many have ever made a big mistake at work and gone, that's it, I'm gonna get fired, that's it, life is over, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills, I don't, I'm done, I just, listen, I'm just gonna live out of a van. Why? Because we always go to the worst part, worst case scenario, first of all. But what if instead of just hiding our feelings and our shame, we go to God that night and we say, God, you know what happened today. Oh God, here's my heart. I'm so sorry. Sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for how I reacted. Repent. And God, I turn to you for the right answers. So lead me, follow It's a three-step process that will always lead you back to the very heart of God. So repentance has been there, uh, has always been the plan. It's not a religious thing, but a heart thing. That's what Joel was saying. Don't just go through the motions. Know what it really means to fall in love with him. He is literally saying, don't just do religious duties, but allow your heart to break before God to allow him to renew it. Now let's jump to the New Testament. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Amen? That is is an amazing statement. No matter what you have done, if you are willing to to, to admit your faults to God, he is willing to meet you at your need and forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of it. Why? So So that you can start fresh in him and step forward in the progress that he has for you. God's heart is for us to want to turn from sin and to turn to him and run to him for new life. So repentance has always been the plan. The second thing is this, is that you got to realize that repentance leads to reconciliation. It's that turn part. I'm sorry, God. I turn to you. Reconciliation, which means that I'm, I'm going back to a relationship that is healthy for me. I'm going back to a person who loves me and cares for me and wants the best for me. Over and over and over again, Israel would sin and walk away from God only to find themselves in the wilderness, defeated, enslaved, and they would be called to repentance by a leader or a prophet, and they would seek forgiveness, throw away their idols, and follow God. This is the circle that Israel follows almost all the time in the Old Testament. Many of us don't realize it, but we can see ourselves as the Israel nation. Many of us seek forgiveness, but we are not willing to throw away the idols and the false gods in our life. God, I'm sorry. I want to be a better person. And God says, okay, let's let's work on this. And well, hey, God, wait a minute. (laughs) Whoa, nobody invited you there. You just said you were sorry. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm I'm not ready to give up this. I'm not ready to give up my pride. Because it's what I use when I don't know what else to do to tear other people down. 
I'm not ready to, to give up my emotions ruling me because at least then I feel powerful. I may feel out of control, but I feel powerful. That may sound completely out of sync, but I've watched it enough in my life where I realize that, that when you allow your emotions to, to overwhelm you, it's a, it's, a, it's a way that you can push people away and feel like you have some control. We let our emotions, right? Anger. I don't control my anger. I let my anger just control me and take me wherever he wants because it's who I am. It's like, how many have ever, it's how God made me. God did not make you to allow your emotions to control you to the point where you cannot live in his purpose. I'm not saying it's easy. I think sometimes we hear preachers and we go, well, you just make it sound easy. No, it's not. Like, it's, it's miserable sometimes in our emotions. It's miserable sometimes waking up going, how do I get through the day today? How do I get through this with purpose? How do I get through this with, with the idea that God has a plan for me? And sometimes you have dry seasons. Israel walked through the, uh, the desert for 40 years because their pride wouldn't let them sit in God's plan. And here's the funny part. They got, when, when they... When they got to the promised land, they sent the 12 spies in, and, and Caleb and Joshua were the only two that came back and said, we can take them. And the other 10 were like, no, they're giants. They're big. We can't do it. They walked in the wilderness for 40 years, literally only to come back to the same exact spot. And the only people that got to see the promised land were the two that, despite the circumstance, despite the emotions, despite what everything looks like, trusted God, and their families were the only ones that got to see the promised land from the original. Not even Moses got to see the promised land. And so I'm telling you, is it easy? No. But I'm telling you, you don't want to try to do it on your own and continue to walk in the wilderness, only get back right where God wanted you to be in the first place. Trust him. Reconcile when you make mistakes. Don't hide from God, but run to God and ask for his, his, his presence to come into your life and to lead you, to lay down the false idols and the false things in your life that you think you need to do and be who you want to be. Psalms 139.24 says this, point out anything in me that offends you. Whole what a prayer. let that sit there for a minute. I want to challenge you. Go home and pray that prayer <laughs> to the God of the universe that created you. God, point out anything in me that offends you. You better be ready. And, and, and here's the thing. It's not going to be God going, well, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> let me tell you what offends me in you. No, it's this heartbeat. Point out anything in me that offends you and... Lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want y'all to hear this tonight, today, whatever it is. God doesn't want to point out offensive things just to be in control. He wants to point out the things that don't line up with him. Why? So the second part, so he can lead you into everlasting life. And not just for eternity, but while you're here on earth. So that you could show the world a good God and a loving God and a compassionate, merciful, and gracious God who is also just and righteous. Point out the things that offend me, God, so that I can live in your will and have everlasting life. Repentance is the path to a, re a relationship with God, re reconciling with him. To know him, 
and not just to know of him. And a lot of people that sit in church, they know of him. One of my favorite things with teenagers that have been in the church long enough is I would ask them specific questions when I would get in like discipleship groups with them. And I'd sit with them and I'd say, who's God? Who's God? And without even thinking about it, they start, you know, quoting scripture because it's what they've been trained to do from like a, a small, small. And I'm not saying that's bad. That's not wrong that they quote scripture or they know of God. But they go to the defaults, right? Like, well, God's my savior. Okay, cool. He is. Who's God? And it takes me back to when Jesus was sitting with the disciples and he says, who am I? And what do the disciples start saying? Well, some say that you're a prophet reborn. And some say you're John the Baptist. And some say, and he goes, okay, that's good. That's all good and and fine. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Not, not what is the regurgitated Bible study that you heard from, from Priscilla Schreier or, or any other pastor, but who do you say I am? Who am I in your life? What is your story with me? And Peter stands up and he says, you're the savior of the world because I've watched you do miracles because I've watched the hand of God in your life. Jesus says, No man's revealed that to you. Only the Spirit of God can. And so as much as I want you to be in your Bible, as much as I want you to know the Word, as much as I would love for you to quote Scripture, I don't want it to be counterfeit when somebody says, who is God? Who is God? God was there when I was a broken mess, when I was an addict, when I thought I had nobody else, when I've walked through a divorce, when I went through this, when when I was at my worst, God was there, when nobody else was, when I was called all sorts of names, God was there calling me child. That's who God is. Yes, he's savior of the world, but he's savior of my spirit because without him, I would have been a wretch of a person, desperate and hurt, alone in, in my, uh, my, my love, seeking all sorts of things, alone in my addictions. It's reconciliation that isn't just a counterfeit, cookie-cutter religion, but a personal who is he to you. The last thing that I want you to hear today is repentance leads to true followership. People say church is boring because they're not truly following God. They're just showing up. They're just, they're just showing up. Because listen, here, here's the deal. Listen, I don't like going to, to classes as much as the next person. As a detective, we have, to, we have 24 hours of training that we have to do every year. As, well, not just as a, any law enforcement. We have 24 hours every year that we have to do, plus gun qualifications and blah, 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 things you don't care about. Um, these, listen, you, I hate to say this because y'all are going to look at law enforcement differently. Those classes suck. They're pointless. I'm going to be very honest. The ones that they, like, we have to do, they're, they're pointless. But we have to do them. Right? Do so we have to check the box? Oh, <laughs> we have to check the box just to, to do our job, to, 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 to wear the badge to, so that people can trust us. Oh. We wonder why church is boring, because we come and we show and we check the box. I did church. I worship. Who's God to you? Well, I'm telling you, when it becomes personable, when it becomes followership over title, I'm a Christian. Okay. 
but do you follow him? Not are you perfect. (laughs) Not are you perfect, but do you follow him? Because Peter was a mess. Peter was a hot mess express, and yet he followed him. And, and, and yet Peter was the one that Jesus looked at and said, on, on you, Peter, the church is going to be founded in the New Testament. Peter was the one that denied him three times, cut a dude's ear off. That was the end of Jesus' story on earth. And yet Peter was the one that stood up and preached the first message where over 5,000 people got saved. It could have been any one of those 11, but it was Peter. So before you go and unqualify yourself because you don't think you're a good enough follower, it's not about perfection. It's about being persistent and getting close to him. Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is in the ESV version. I love this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the way, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. In other words, a worshipful attitude in life. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Not just singing some songs and getting through the checklist, but your spiritual worship is to wake up every day and to say, God, I want to live for you that the world may know you. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When you, when your mind renews, your actions follow. Think about it. How many have ever done, I'll call it a diet just for it easy to have a title, right? But how many have changed your eating habits? What started first, your mind or your actions? Mind. Because nobody just starts eating healthy. That's stupid. Amen. You have to psych yourself up because most things that are green taste horrible. I have a rule. If I can't spell it, I won't eat it. Artichoke? No. Who wants to eat a leafy grass thing? Like, oh, but it tastes great if you put mayonnaise in it. If I have to doctor something that bad because it tastes like grass, I don't want it. Okay? You have to get it mentally here. You want to work out? It doesn't, you're just not going to just show up in the gym and be like, yeah, gym bro. Oh. No. It's in your mind first. It's the reason why most of us don't follow through is because we, we only have it in our mind until it gets tough. And then we're like, woo, revert back to the weakest training that we have. Don't go to the gym. Don't eat healthy. Oreos taste better anyways. Amen. Cookies and cream taste better. Amen or chocolate, or peanut butter, or whatever you, whatever flavor ice cream you, you like, or, you know, cookie you like, it, it's the weakest link, but it tastes better, and it's, it's way easier. And followership takes hard work and dedication that starts in the renewing of our mind before the action, and that's why we have such a hard time, is because we want to check the box before we've renewed our mind in Christ in prayer, in his word, in fellowship with strong believers. You are able to discern the will of God when your mind is renewed because your actions will follow. Repentance shows our sinful nature and makes us want to give it to God and run towards him. Following makes us want to fill the void of our sin with his presence. 
And this is what I want to end with. Hannah, you can come up. Um, so many times in church, this is what we hear. Give it to God. How many have ever heard that? Give it to God. Just give it to God. Just give it to God. First of all, how do I do that? Like, is there a special technique? Do I, do I have to, like, create a box and, like, and when, when, I got, like, when I got into church, when me and Stephanie got into church, you know, we had altar calls every Sunday. And the same five people get saved. Same two people get slain in the spirit. Like we were like, you know, our pastor would say, you know, silly stuff like, if there's not snot on the altar, God isn't moving. That is the dumbest thing ever. We've rendered God to an emotional standpoint instead of a heart-changing, almighty, all-powerful, all-gracious God. Like, he can't do that when you're driving down. Listen, I've been driving down the highway and had to pull over because I was crying so much. Why? Because I was just listening to a song and God showed up. God's not like sitting there going, God, I can't wait for Sunday. Maybe, just maybe, the altar will be full. That's what we have rendered God to. Sitting in the church just waiting. Oh, it's almost Sunday. It's almost my time. The God I serve? Oh, he's a Monday God. Because Mondays, they, they show up whether we like them or not. Most of us don't like them because our mind isn't renewed. What if Monday was an opportunity for you to live it out? Because I'm no longer living sin nature to sin nature to sin nature to sin nature, but I'm living from glory to glory to glory, which is what the word says. Because I'm perfect? Nope. Because when I recognize that I've made a mistake, I go to him and I say, God, I've gotten off course. And I'm sorry. Now here's where a lot of, I go back to the give it to God. Why do we stop there as, as leaders and as, as, as preachers and as pastors of people? We Just give it to God and he'll do the rest. That's a bunch of bull. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Because if all we do is give it to God, we stop at repentance. I'm sorry, God. Here's my sin. Now it's up to you. Do something. Repent. Turn. Follow has always been his model. So if give it to God is where we stop, here's what we do. We say, God, I'm a sinner, and I give up my sin, and I give the things that maybe I'm struggling with to him, but I don't fill it with something that looks like him. God, I, I'm sorry that I'm addicted to X, Y, Z. Whatever it is, this TV show, this, this drink, this computer screen, this little rectangular box that we call a phone. This is, this is, what I, this is my addiction and my sin, and, and, and I give it to you. But here's the thing. If we don't fill it with something good, guess what we're going to run back to? The very thing that we're addicted to because it's the easy thing and it's what we know. So giving it to God has to be more than just saying, okay, God, here it is. It has to be running towards him and saying, okay, God, here it is. Now fill my life with something better. How do you do that? You have to get close to him. Let me challenge you. 
If you know that there is something that is keeping you from the glory, the goodness, the, the relationship with God that you want, cut it out. Maybe you're not able to cut it completely out. Maybe it is like your phone. Delete the apps that, are, that, are, that you're struggling with. And every time you have that urge to do that, pray. Now listen, <laughs> it doesn't mean like, you know, I think sometimes when we say that, we're like, well, what, what if I'm at work and I can't just stop and, and get on my knees and pray? No, you don't have to. The Bible says pray continuously. That doesn't mean we have made it a show. We have made it. Close your eyes, bow your heads, get on your knees. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to do that. Matter of fact, Jesus says that person that looks like that and is shouting and, and doing all sorts of stuff in the church, he, he has got his reward. Because everybody's looking at him. No, when you pray to the Father, go to your prayer closet and get before him and get real and honest. Maybe it's your, you're at work and you feel that urge to, oh, I've got to check TikTok for the 10,000th time. Oh, TikTok's for teenagers. Bull, I know plenty of adults that are addicted to TikTok. Or Facebook or Instagram. I guess Facebook is for old people. That's what I've been told. Which, it is easy because I'm on Facebook more than anything uh, as far as social media, so I guess that means I'm old. if you put a pause and instead of when you feel that urge you just fill it with God God I feel my emotions rising up and I know that, that it's going to cause me to lead me to do something that does not fit into your will for my life so instead of just allowing it or, or feeding it with a phone conversation that maybe isn't good or listening to music that is just only going to make it feel a certain way Maybe, just maybe, I stop and I pause and I put on worship music and I start praying to you. Repentance is knowing that you have fallen far from the heart of God in an area and you're asking for forgiveness, but you are turning and saying, God, fill it with more of you. I want to read... Psalms 139, I, I already read verse 24, but I want to back it up and I want to go to 23 and 24 to end this morning. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you do you see where, where, where David started? Search me, God. Know my thoughts. I love what he says because he says this. Know my anxious thoughts. It wasn't know my good thoughts, know my holy thoughts, know, know the thoughts that are tend to lean towards you. Know my anxious thoughts, my depressed thoughts, my, my thoughts that, that always think that I'm never good enough. God, search the thoughts that aren't lining up with your will. And in those thoughts point out the things that offend you and lead me to your path. All of you in this room, every last one of us, there's more that God has for you. 
Don't buy the lie of the enemy to say, well, hey, listen, you're, you're far greater than where you used to be or, 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 hey, look at how far you've come. Yes, look back and see how far you've come. And now let's press forward. And when you make mistakes, because you're going to make mistakes, which should make you feel good because we're human, that God says, okay, let's practice repentance. Let's ask for forgiveness. And let's turn back to him and fill it with him. You want the practical? The practical is this. When you start making mistakes, have the courage and the self-discipline to recognize where your faults are and to fill it with Jesus because nobody else can make you. Search my heart, oh God. Know my anxious thoughts and point out the offensive things so that it can lead me back to you. Will you pray with me? Father, that's our prayer today. That this vintage faith thought that you have had from the beginning and you will have to the very end is that you have always been calling us back to your heart. That when we, when we fall away, when we, when we walk a little outside of your will, when we walk a lot outside of your will, you have a, a plan in place to draw us back if we are willing to do our part. You did yours. You died for us so that we could be saved and, and know you and have a relationship with you. And now you say, when we, when we walk outside of that path, we should know that repentance, which isn't just, oh, I suck, but I made a mistake, God. It's not that I'm a failure. It's that I failed in this moment, and I want to turn back to you. And it's not good enough just to say it, but God, that you, we, would, we would take it out of our lives, we would offer it to you, and then we would ask and we would act that you would feel those moments in our life. When we feel those urges to go back to the comfortable, to go back to the sin, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and say, nah, remember you gave that to me. Now go and read your word. Now go and pray. Now go and call somebody who is going to uplift and encourage and pray for you. The tools are there. Will you do it? Search our heart, oh God, and know our anxious thoughts and pull out any of the offenses that don't line up with your will so that you can lead us into eternal life here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, that you're the God of Monday as much as you are Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday. And I pray opportunity to be witnesses and to share our story and not just to be rattle off who we think God is, but who we know God is into our life. That we would make a difference in Camden, in our friend groups, in our family groups, and everywhere we go. I pray this over our people, over our church, and over our community. We love you, Jesus, and we give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.